Father, once again, we want to thank you for the blessing of coming together and studying your word. We are reading through, Lord, studying through the book of Revelation, which, of course, Lord, it speaks not only to the age of the churches that that it was written to, but it speaks to the church age throughout history, and it speaks even to us tonight. Not only of the things that have been, but Lord, also the things that will yet be. And what a what a relevant time for us to be in the book of Revelation, Lord, as we just see what looks like the the shaping of uh, of the end times right before us, even in our own generation. And so, Lord, we want to be students of the Bible. We want to be uh, not caught unaware. We want to be sober-minded, alert. So help us tonight, God, to hear what the Spirit of God would say to our church and individually to us in my own heart tonight, Lord. Speak to us, we ask, God. Reveal things to us. We know, God, that your word is always to give healing and restoration and to, and to bring good into our lives. So we open our heart up to you tonight, Lord, and ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to go ahead and read this letter that Jesus has written to this church. As you know, the book of Revelation is kind of broken up into three sections. This is what we've been discussing. The first section is, of course, the very vision that the Apostle John saw, the vision of Jesus. The second section is this letter that Jesus writes to the churches. He dictates these letters to to the Apostle John and sends these out to seven churches that existed in the area of Asia, Asia Minor, what be, would be known today as modern-day Turkey. And he writes these letters to seven different churches. We know that the, the number seven is the number representing completeness or fullness. So this is a letter written to the full kind of uh, spectrum of the church. And we find ourselves now in this uh, fourth church. We've looked at three churches. We have a total of seven. Tonight we'll be looking at number four. This happens to be the longest letter of all the letters to the churches. He has the most to say here tonight to this church. However, this was actually the smallest and probably one of the least significant churches of the day. So Jesus has the most to say to one of the smaller churches of the day. And let's go ahead and read his letter, and then we'll come back and talk about what he says to this church. Pick it up with me in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. 
Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel." as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we have mentioned in the past, I want to just remind you tonight that we believe that these letters to the churches have kind of multiple application. We believe that these were letters written specifically to individual churches, and they had relevance in the day that they were written to to churches that existed at that time. We also believe that this, as I mentioned, letter to seven churches, it also kind of speaks to the the entire church age. It would speak to all churches of all ages. So we would find things in each church that would be relevant today. We would see some of these things in the church today as well. But we also believe, and and many uh, commentators, they, they kind of debate a little bit of how to apply this, but there's also the the sense that Jesus is also writing to the entire church age historically, and that each letter is in sequence to a specific age of history within the church. So the first letter, the book of Ephesus, that would, uh, the the church to the, uh, the, the letter to the church in Ephesus spoke to that early, just right after the apostles age of the church. And then so each letter speaks to a to an age. Now this is generally speaking, this is not it doesn't get into specifics and these these each age there are other things that are present but this kind of gives the general idea of what was going on in the church during that age. And what we find here is this church in Thyatira, we believe this is written kind of to the church of the Middle Ages and most mostly the Roman Catholic Church that existed during that time. They indeed did have, and, and I don't, this is not the kind of the, the main emphasis tonight. I want to actually go through the, the letter and, and, and really look for application for our lives and our, our hearts today as we look and see what Jesus said to the church then. But I do want to give you just a, a general idea of how scholars believe this applies into church history. Speaking to the medieval Roman Catholic Church, there were, of course, many works and love and service and faith and patience. We see many cathedrals that were built, and they were built unto the glory of God. I mean, the church was very much a part of the culture. But it was also corrupted in in many ways. It became politically and culturally kind of blended. The church actually drove much of the culture and had much political power, and it did tend to corrupt the church. And as a result, there was, of course, immorality and idolatry. Some have, have thought this woman, Jezebel, you, we, we would liken her maybe to the, to the Virgin Mary. Now, of course, the, the biblical presentation of Mary is this wonderful young woman of God that the Lord used in a mighty way. But the Catholic's idea of Mary at this time and of course some even today, was really taken more from the pagan mother goddess and she kind of became this idol worship and this person that they began to pray to and worship and statues and and much was developed. And this became something of a spiritual adultery, idolatry, a spiritual falling away. 
And not only that, but many of the priests, because of their their vow to celibacy, many of them not being involved in a, in a marital relationship, and many of them ended up uh, committing acts of immorality. So some of these things that we see in this church do apply to that church age, and we know these are the things that took place during that time of history. Now, we don't need to. You know, the idea here is not to pick on any one church. Jesus is a... Um, you know, he's willing to critique all churches. <laughs> he's a uh, equal opportunity critic. And we will see next week that as he speaks to what we, what we believe is kind of the, the, uh, the Protestant organized church, and we'll see much there uh, of, of correction that is needed also. So this is, not a, this is not something to bash any one church or to zero in on shortcomings of any particular age, but rather just to see that that God in the wisdom of his word has given something for the entire history of the church, something for us to notice, something for us to be warned about. And I think the way we must approach these things is with an open heart. Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says. I don't want to get locked in on my kind of my religious way or my own philosophy or my own idea. I want to hear what God has to say. Speak to us, Lord. Show us what's right. Show us what's true. And so we will look at this now, this church in Thyatira. What does Jesus say to this church? Now, let me give you a little background about Thyatira. It was a, it was a, a city that was famous for its trade guilds. Now, trade guilds are like unions or professional associations. So within this city, there were workers. There was a trade guild for wool workers, leather workers, bronze workers, pottery workers. These were craftsmen within certain trades. And they had guilds that existed in these cities. You may remember the Apostle Paul, when he was in Philippi, he witnessed and converted a, a, a woman by the name of Lydia. She became, became saved on the Apostle Paul's ministry, and she was a seller of purple from Thyatira. So she was from this city and no doubt from one of these guilds and was a seller of purple. That was a, a very fine and expensive color during that time. And it was probably very difficult to work or make a living within this city unless you belonged to one of these guilds. And unfortunately, many of these guilds also practiced idolatry. They would often appoint a patron god or deity. And so they would have their trade meetings and they would often eat foods that they sacrificed to their gods. And they, those, those, those meetings would become, you know, kind of an opportunity to for idol worship and drinking and partying and immorality and the like. And I suppose you could, uh, you know, there's probably some things that go on today, some of the trade and industry gatherings that go on today. I don't know if you've ever been to business conventions in Las Vegas, but some of those do seem to migrate into something less than business. And so that's kind of the, the culture that was going on in this city. And it's this in this place that the church exists and we can, we can see from Jesus' letter there are a number of things that apparently are happening and that he is endeavoring to correct. So I want to work through that with you. The first thing I'd like you to notice is the image that Jesus presents himself as. Look there in verse 18. These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Within each letter... Jesus refers back to something from that original vision that John saw in chapter 1. And with, but he doesn't highlight 
everything each time. Rather, in each letter, he highlights unique characteristics that were in the vision that he gave to John in the beginning. So in this letter, he highlights a couple things about himself, and he's really speaking, even uh, through this imagery, he's speaking to them a little bit about what he must must deal with. First of all, he says that he is the Son of God. That's, of course, an emphasis on his deity. He has eyes with the fl- with uh, eyes like a flame of fire. These are all seeing, penetrating, judging, and refining eyes. And feet of brass. Brass throughout the scriptures represents judgment. It was a hard and and very uh, sturdy metal used to crush and break. And Jesus represents himself coming to this church. And he's not coming as the warm, tender-hearted, but rather this eyes of fire, feet of brass, a Jesus who's come to do business, a Jesus who's come to cleanse and discipline this church. Now, he does point out a number of their good works. And uh, we'll break this up as I have some of the other letters, kind of three C's. There's a commendation, a correction, and then a counsel. The commendation comes there in verse 19. I know your works. Nothing is unnoticed by the Lord. He is faithful to see and recognize our works. Even in a church that's having trouble, he sees faithfulness in some. He sees overcomers and he speaks to them and commends them. This is a church with love. This is a church that's uh, busy in service and faith, patience. And not only that, but he says, your last works are more than the first. You're growing. Your works are increasing. Those are good things. But then he gets in verse 20 through 23, he gets in to the correction. And the correction that he brings is to this church is the, 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 the trouble of, of this woman Jezebel. But notice what he says to the church. I have a few, verse 20, I have a few things against you because you allowed. You see that? Because you allow. The trouble with the church is that they were allowing this woman, this false prophetess, to have a voice into the teaching and doctrine of the church. He's going to speak to this woman, but the church, your problem is that you had allowed this woman to have prominence in your midst. And this is a lack of spiritual leadership. This is just kind of, oh, well, you know, she says she's a prophet. I mean, you know, maybe she is. How do we know? Let her speak. Maybe it's the Lord. And this church is not really taking a stand up for doctrine. And, you know, just like uh, the Jezebel of the Old Testament. Now, this, this woman, her name was probably not literally Jezebel. That would not be a common name to, to name your daughter. This had a very negative connotation from the Old Testament, Jezebel. You know, you wouldn't name your son Judas, probably, just because of the, the connotation. And not many were naming their daughters Jezebel. But more, more likely, this is uh, a reference to the kind of woman that she was. And Jezebel, if you remember in the Old Testament, she was the, the wife of King Ahab. And Ahab was this kind of this weak leader. He allowed his wife to really kind of run the show for him in Israel. She introduced the worship of Baal, mixed the world with the worship of God. And she caused the nation of Israel to sin through her false doctrine and her false ways. And so she comes into this church, and the church allows her to have this false prophecy. You see, prophecy has to be judged. Paul told the Thessalonians, test everything and hold on to that which is good. Paul spoke to the Corinthian church, and he said, listen, you may allow individuals to prophesy, but one will prophesy and the others will judge. 
prophecy has to be judged, and it has to be judged by the word of God. Just because someone says they're a prophet, just because someone says, thus saith the Lord, does not necessarily mean that it's from the Lord. So a church has a responsibility to test these things, weigh these things, discern these things, not just allow a doctrine to go out through a self-proclaimed prophet. They were tolerant of her doctrine. They were tolerant of the sin. They did not judge. They just, they, there was this tolerance. And unfortunately, the church cannot allow these things to exist or it will in time corrupt the church. And this is a church that is struggling with corruption. We don't know who this woman was, Jezebel. Maybe she was a prominent woman in the church. She is a self-proclaimed prophetess. Notice Jesus does not say that she was a prophet. She calls herself a prophetess. And you're allowing her to teach and seduce. Maybe she was the pastor's wife. Maybe she was someone that they allowed to have. (laughs) That wasn't supposed to be a joke, but... (laughs) I guess I can see the humor in that. (laughs) That's why my wife doesn't prophesy very often. (laughs) Uh, In some way, this woman had voice in the church. You know, my um, I graduated from um, Oral Roberts University back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a long time ago. And uh, my oldest son, um, he did he just he did his freshman year there last year. Now he's currently at the Calvary Chapel Bible College because he wanted to really uh, get deeper into Bible study and preparation for ministry. But we took him, Tony and I took him back to school there and uh, enrolled him and kind of went through the the uh, enrollment week with him. And there was a you know, I wanted to kind of just check out a church for him to fellowship while he was out there. And there was a church that I had attended um, so many years ago, 20-plus years. Uh, and this church and this pastor was still there in, in the town. And I, I remembered going there. It was a church that I really enjoyed. This pastor was an excellent Bible teacher and very much kind of the Calvary Chapel style, very verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, real uh, in-depth study of the Word of God. So I, I went to the, I did not know the pastor. I, I just ha- had attended his church. And so this is now, whatever, 25 years later, I went to the church to check it out on, on a Sunday morning. We were there and Tony and I kind of wanted to see maybe this would be a good place for Tyler to fellowship. And so we went into the service and it was, it was a completely different church. Um, the worship, they spent quite a bit of time in worship and it, 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 it I can't, I don't really want to go into it, but the worship was much different than anything we're used to. Much more kind of um, over the top, people making a lot of different noises, people doing a lot of different movements. And and they had one section where people could just go and and kind of, you know, dance. And and I'm not opposed to that, a spiritual worship of dance. It's biblical. But this just seemed to be a little much to me. And we kind of tried to take it in. And the pastor got up and he kind of had a few announcements and then his wife and all through the worship, his wife would get up and prophesy. And she would prophesy just, you know, just kind of strange stuff. And Tony and I were sitting and this I'm not making any of this up there. We were sitting there and behind us to the right, 
somebody started like wailing. I mean, this this blood curdling scream. I mean, I'm not I'm not. Believe me, I'm I'm. It was louder. It was much worse than that. And you know, the wife got up. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What does it mean to to travail in the spirit? Ah! This guy is screaming. And I mean, if if it wasn't real, it would have been funny. But it was sad. And the pastor got up and he just had a, um, you know, I don't want to judge a man's heart. All I can say is the church was nothing of what it once was. There was no teaching of the Bible. There was this strange kind of prophetic. And if after the service, we have prophets up here. And some of them were just like teenagers. Come on up. And they're going to, and God can gift a teenager. But these are all supposed prophets. And if you need a prophecy, if you need a word after the service, come up here. We're going to have people that will prophesy over you. And there's all this focus on kind of a, a word of prophecy and no real teaching of the Scripture. We had to leave. We, we were not able to endure the whole service. Uh, so we kind of politely exited out the back. But I just left there feeling, Lord, what happened? What happened to this church? What happened to this ministry that was so vital and so, you know, such a strong Bible teaching ministry and the word of God being declared to now this, you know, I don't know what it was. And as I was preparing and studying and getting this study ready, I just I just thought of that, you know, this this self-proclaimed prophetess getting up and putting her spirit out into the church and getting away from the sound doctrine of the word of God. False teaching is the result of this lack of leadership and allowing this woman to prophesy. Warren Wearsby says this and in speculating what she must have been teaching and maybe how she was bringing the people to compromise there within the city. She taught believers how to compromise with the Roman religion and the practices of the guilds so that Christians would not lose their jobs or their livelihood. She led others into sin through false and deceptive teaching. Go ahead. Go ahead and join the the leather working guild. Yeah, but they they have meetings and they sacrifice to idols and they have these drunken parties. No, 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 where you got to live, you got to make a living. But thus saith the Lord, you're free to go and participate. And, you know, we're speculating a little bit, but something has was happening through this teaching that was allowing this kind of immorality and idolatry to come into the life of the church. And the result is, of course, Disastrous sexual immorality, idolatry, what Jesus refers to as the depths of Satan in verse 24. I just want to speak briefly on these things, some of these things that were going on in this church. Firstly, sexual immorality. You know, we live in a culture that is rampant with sexual immorality. We live in a time when sexual immorality is so commonplace that it, you know, without the word of God as a compass, it can almost seem like no big deal. It can almost become kind of, oh, well, everybody's doing it. And 
over time, our, our, our spiritual sensitivities are, are numbed. Our, our sense of morality and what God has called us to in, in holiness and purity, it, it, it's, it's weakened. It is on, there's an onslaught through the media. There is just so much available through Internet and pornography. And it affects the minds and hearts of the culture. And not only that, I do believe that it has the potential to affect the mind and heart of the church. Sexual relationship was created by God. And it was created to be a holy and a sacred thing. Sexual relationship is something that God has designed to be something to be experienced within the confines of a marriage commitment. This is God's plan for sexual relationship. It is to be holy. It is to be sacred. It is the most intimate expression of love and tenderness between two human beings. God has designed it to be something beautiful, but it has become something polluted. It has become something perverse. It has become something of a demonic idea. We cannot, as a church, even in the midst of this type of culture, we cannot lower the standard of what God has called us to be and what God has called these things to be. I'm not talking about those that fall and and fail and, and that there's not forgiveness. I'm talking about a mindset that would say, oh, it's no big deal. This idea that it's casual. This idea that they're just consenting adults or they're just kids. Oh, well. It's not, oh, well, Jesus speaks to this church. This idea of sexual immorality is one of the very things that marks corruption in the life of this church. Not only that, but idolatry. And, you know, you might say, well, phew, I'm glad I don't have any idol worship going. I don't have any any little statues in my house that I bow down and, you know, burn incense to and worship. Well, really, idolatry is the worship of anything other than God. What is your master passion? Is it Jesus? Is it the Lord? It doesn't have to be something that you pray to. It could just be something that you give your heart and time to. Success, wealth, covetousness, self. The idea of needing to be fulfilled or happy, the me syndrome. It can be anything that would displace your love and devotion to the Lord. Something was going on in this church through this woman's teaching that was corrupting the minds of the believers, and they were falling into these types of things. Jesus says here, the the depths of Satan. I'm not sure exactly what he means by that, but in my own mind, my sense is that there must be a sense of degrees of depravity. And I can't help but wonder today, you know, some of the things that are going that are coming across the Internet in in the way of pornography and child pornography. I mean, it's one thing to have, uh, you know, all sin is sin. It's one thing to have a, a sense of fornication, but it's another thing when it gets so perverted and twisted that it becomes, you know, and, and violent and, and children are being, you know, captured off of the street and predators and and i just can't that must be something of what jesus means about the depths of satan that when you give place to these things they take you to a place of total depravity 
And this is what Jesus is referring to in the life of a church. In this church, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.12, it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Some of the things that are done are not even appropriate to be talked about. Jesus goes on. He identifies the problem. He also identifies the coming judgment. A couple things I want you to notice. Verse 21, and I gave her time to repent. This Jezebel, this false self-proclaimed prophetess who is misleading God's people and bringing in teaching that is you know, resulting in immorality and idolatry, Jesus gave her time to repent. God in his mercy reached out to her God, by his spirit, reached out with grace. She knew what she was doing because the Holy Spirit had come and given warning. She knew what she was doing because Jesus said, I gave her time to repent. She knew she needed to repent, but she would not. He gave space. He warned. He gave time, but she would not. She did not. It reminds me of a passage out of Romans chapter 2 when the Apostle Paul Speaking of the grace of God, Romans 2, verse 4, he says this, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the Romans, Don't misinterpret the goodness of God. Don't misunderstand the grace, the kindness of God. God's grace, God's kindness, God's space or time that he allows for you to repent. That's not a condoning of what you're doing. That's not because God's okay with it. Oh, I did it. Nothing happened. God must be okay with it. That's God's mercy. That's God's grace giving you time to repent. Can you imagine if every sin was judged immediately? Who among us would be able to stand? Who among us could endure? But we serve a God that is merciful. We serve a God that is long-suffering, a God that delights in mercy. But Paul said, "Don't, don't misjudge. Don't despise the riches of his goodness. We sing that song, His kindness leads me to repentance. If he didn't give time, if he wasn't kind, if he wasn't merciful, where would we even have opportunity to repent? Jesus gave this woman time to repent, but she would not. And now her judgment is sure. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. Her time is up. Her bed of sin will become a bed of sickness. Not only her, but her followers. Verse 22, and those who commit adultery with her, they are going to go into great tribulation. Look, unless they repent of their deeds. He gave her time. She has not used it to repent, but rather she has hardened and been unrepentant. She is going to be judged. But those of her followers, you also will be judged unless they repent. There's still time for some. There's still time for some in this church. She has set her course. She has chosen her way. But those of you that are following, 
you also will be doomed to judgment unless you repent. You also will experience the discipline of God unless you are able to repent. Now, the judgment of God here is not against those who do these things as much as it is against those who refuse to repent of these things. It is one thing to fall. It is one thing to stumble. It is one thing to to need the mercies of God, which are new every morning. And to the heart that is honest with God, First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The message here is not to condemn the believers that want to live for the Lord. The message here is to shake those who don't repent, who are unwilling to live for the Lord who are determined to live in this way and think that they can be in fellowship in the church and be all right. Somehow it's all right. This is a false doctrine that has crept in and it's corrupting their lifestyle. Not only will they be judged, but Jesus will use this church as an example verse is that that I want to quote from three I'm sorry I will kill her children with death her children those are her followers those that are determined to go with her but look and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works Jesus is going to deal with this Jezebel. He's going to deal with this church, those that are determined to go this way. And it's going to become an example for all the churches. It is it's going to be something to purify and warn the churches. You remember Ananias and Sapphira in the very early days of the church. They lied to the Holy Spirit and they were they fell dead in the midst of the assembly. God purifying that early church by example and as a warning And so this church in Thyatira is going to be dealt with in such a way that all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I see your thoughts. I know your motive. I know your intentions. Jesus sees what's going on in the heart and life of his church. Finally, he gives counsel, verses 24 through 29, to you and the rest. There were still others that had not followed this doctrine to you, those that are receiving this letter to you, the angel, the pastor to you and the rest there. There were others within the church that had not given place to this. Is it possible that within a church there can be those that have given place and and ready to come under the discipline of Lord and and others that are sincere and after the Lord? Yes. Yes, and in fact, oftentimes we see within churches some that are really after God and some that are not. Some are there for the right reasons. Some are there on pretense. Jesus speaks to both, and he does encourage those that are there that are sincerely wanting to live for the Lord. And he encourages them to hold fast. Don't let go of the right doctrine. Don't let go of moral purity and devotion to Christ. Hang in there. Don't be swayed away. Don't be... Don't be caught up in these things that you see. Just because others seem to be getting away with it or saying it's okay, don't you be distracted with what you know to be true, the foundation of his word and what's been taught. Because there will be reward 
verse 27, you will, or 26 and 27, he who overcomes, I will give power over the nations. And he quotes this phrase out of Psalms. He will rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. This is a picture of Jesus when he comes and establishes his millennial kingdom. He will rule and reign and we will rule and reign with him. Those that overcome, you will be a part of his kingdom. That which he has received from the father. And not only this, but you will receive the morning star. The morning star, I believe, is, is Jesus Christ himself. If, uh, Peter talked about the morning star rising in your heart. The idea that Jesus hold on because the light, the brightness of Christ and his appearing will come and he will be yours. And he closes this counsel with verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Listen, church. Those of you that are leading others into sin, Jezebel. Listen, those of you that are following others into sin, listen, those of you that are permitting this type of deception in your midst, listen, and those of you that are overcomers, don't be discouraged. Trust in Jesus. His counsel is that you would hold fast until he come. This is a strong letter. And as I mentioned, the longest of the seven that we will look at. And it's something heavy. But I'm encouraged that even in what probably is a church that has the most trouble, there's this, there's this message of hope. There's this me- message of hold fast. You do not have to be swept away in this. What are we going to do? We live in a culture. We, we've identified it tonight. We're living in a culture that is rampant with this type of thing. What are we going to do? We're going to hold fast. We're not going to be distracted with this. We're going to take this warning in our hearts and we're going to say, amen. I'm not going to be swept away with the culture. I'm not going to act like the rest of the, of the world. I'm not going to mingle my, my faith in Christ, my devotion to him with any other uh, passion or master passion of my life. It's going to be the Lord and his word. This is a word of encouragement because you can hold fast. You can survive even in this type of oppressive, if you will, culture coming against the things of God. And we as a church must hold on to these things. We as a, a church must uh, you know, defend the church, defend the, the integrity of the church. It's so important what we teach, so important what we listen to, so important what we allow to be taught. Jesus is encouraging the overcomers. If you're an overcomer tonight, don't get discouraged. If you're someone tonight that needs to repent, this may be your, the, the time that he's giving for you to repent. And I encourage you to get your heart right. But there's, um, there's encouragement there for those that are living for the Lord. And I encourage you to, to hold fast. Let's pray. Jesus, you said that these these letters, although they were written to specific churches, at the end of each letter, you declare to him who has ears, let him hear. So yes, it was written specifically to these churches, but it's also written to all who would hear. 
it is written to us as well, Lord. Let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, I would ask tonight that you would speak to our hearts. There may be some here tonight that are leading others astray. There may be some here tonight that are have gone astray. There may be some, Lord, that are just kind of tolerating it. Maybe it's something going on in their home. Maybe it's something that they're allowing in a relationship, Lord. And your word tonight, although it's it's strong, it's it's from the Jesus with eyes a flame of fire. There's also a message of grace. There's also a message, a call to repentance. Even in the depths of sinfulness, Lord, your heart is to forgive. Even this woman, Jezebel, I gave her space to repent. I appealed to her. I called her. I I endeavored to woo her to mercy. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that your spirit would draw us all back to a place of faithfulness in you and those that are walking with you, Lord, we would be strengthened and encouraged to hold fast, to continue, to continue in well-doing, to continue our pursuit of Christ and the things of God. But Lord, if there are any here tonight that need to come to a place of repentance, Lord, I do believe that your heart is here to give mercy. You don't want to judge. You don't want to punish. You want to forgive. You're just looking for a heart that would repent, a heart that would yield. And, Lord, you are so willing to grant mercy and forgiveness tonight. As our heads are bowed tonight, I do want to just give an opportunity if anyone needs to respond tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you need to come to Jesus maybe for the first time. I want to pray for you and I want to give you a chance to respond and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to invite Jesus into my life. Maybe you're here tonight and you have drifted away from the Lord. Maybe something of the Scriptures spoke to you tonight. Maybe you're that individual that is really just out there, slipped into immorality, slipped into idolatry. You're worshiping something other than the Lord. You're chasing something other than Jesus. And maybe you need to come back to the Lord and rededicate yourself. This would be your space to repent, and I would encourage you to do so. I want to pray for you tonight as well. You would say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to come back to the Lord and give him my whole heart and ask him to forgive me and cleanse me for my, for my way. So if that's you here tonight, you need to either come invite Jesus into your heart for the first time or you need to come back to the Lord. Would you raise your hand so that I can see it? And I'm going to pray for you. Anyone here tonight? God bless you, sir. Anyone else? God bless you. Over here on my left, too, as well. I know this is a firm word tonight. (laughs) But it's the words of Jesus. We find ourselves in this place in the Scriptures. I... I pray that I can declare it faithfully. Anyone else tonight, you know that this is your space. This is your time. He's calling you back. Anyone else? Lord, let me pray for those that have responded tonight.
And I ask you to meet them, Lord, in this place. Lord, I do sense your Holy Spirit among us tonight. There is a bit of a heaviness, Lord. There is a a sense of the eyes of fire looking in tonight. But Lord, you are holy and you are all-knowing, but you're also all-merciful and all-loving. And for those that have responded, God, they have identified Jesus. I need you. Jesus, I want to get my heart and life right with you. Lord, meet them tonight. May they not put their faith in their works or their ability, but may they put their faith in Jesus and the blood of Jesus, which cleanses from all sin. There may be some that are coming to you for the first time. Maybe some are coming back. Lord, I ask that you would meet them with your grace and that you would move in their life in a mighty way that they would come into a full relationship with you that would be something beautiful and peaceful and good. We ask these things in Jesus' name.